Welcome back, Rage Nation. Got myself Pete here. That's yeah. not really exciting. You got Senior Dixon. I don't think that's appropriate. And you got Monsieur Leopard. Explorers deserved it. No. Absolutely. I was disgusted. I cannot believe they've done this. Why is wacky? Why is that good? It's just nonsense. I disagree on that. That's not possible. <laughs> We're getting the band back together. We're on a mission. Yeah. Now, now we've got a whole new list of things to complain about. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We are at it again. Got myself, Pete, here, and got a full boat with us. We got Dixon, of course, uh, in the land uh, down under, I guess. We can call you that. And then we have a couple of guests with us. We have uh, John from the Atlanta Meadow, which, John, is always glad to talk to you. Um, you don't get on a lot of the podcasts. Uh, I don't know how I've managed to avoid that up till now, but I, I'm here, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and John, you, you you haven't been on a podcast, but I feel like a lot of people talk about you just because you are so well-traveled with a lot of these events. Yeah, the, the may or may not be true. I've, I've heard from my name mentioned various places. Chan- chances are if somebody mentions a tournament game where they play against Shenlong, it's probably John. <laughs> are you still are you still just doing Shenlong, or did you switch it up a little bit, John? Um, I've, I've dabbled in McCabe a little bit. Um, I have a little success there. I've done Yen Lo before. I pretty much do all the Thunders, and I own pretty much like 90% of the Mouthful product line. So, yeah. And uh, <laughs> last time you and I played, John, you had some very bad luck. Oh yes. And I had to buy I had to buy you a beer. This is true. So I wanted to I wanted to ask you, has your luck been better lately? That 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 tournament was an anomaly. So I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but but my my deck was t- terrible in that 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 tournament. <laughs> so it's come around a little bit. Yes, I, I know yeah. that feeling. We've had actually I think uh, the very last game that I played against Speed before actually the game before the last uh, my highest card beat like was six. It? <laughs> exactly, and like literally on the most important turn of the game, I was like, and I scoop. And he's like, why? It can't be that bad. I show him my hand. And he's like, Jesus Christ. Uh- and it was, <laughs> but but I, I I think I flipped the I needed a target number I needed to flip a two and I flipped a one. And yeah, there was a point in the game that John and I played where he was trying to I think it was if it wasn't like the herder it was like a piglet or something something that was easy to kill, and he literally just needed like a three and he flipped a two and he just kind of was like all right we're done here before I break something. <laughs> A cars in hand, yeah, a cars in hand didn't even allow me to kill an easy minion. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then, of course, we got with us also uh, on the East Coast. We got Cody. Cody, what's going on, my friend? Not much, Pete. Um, nice to talk to you again. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, you're kicking around North Carolina now. So, have you been playing in some of those events and uh, kind of terrorizing locals? Played in an event last month, um, but been way less active lately bought a house in december and that's been all my time yeah and like two kids you know oh yeah all uh that'll that'll eat into your your hobby time for sure uh but oh, yeah, yeah we, we had one tournament last month we got another one coming up this month so hopefully we're starting to get back into the rhythm now last time i saw you cody you were rocking some 
explorer society double master nonsense so what are you what are you rocking now that you're kind of slowly getting back into it a little bit same yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah last event i played i think i played jedza 2 as a second master every round just like throwing her and everything just seeing what uh what sticks i played uh, a solo damien one at nova um so those are the last two events i did yeah and I, damien one probably felt pretty good <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh uh, man. Hey, wait, wasn't Nova like last year? Yeah, it was like September. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah, I mean I feel I mean I just bought a new house and I'm definitely spending most of my time getting that all set up and together. So I definitely understand that. So what we're gonna talk about today is we're actually gonna get into two topics. First one we're gonna focus on is actually setting up turn one. I've had a lot of kind of new players and players who are struggling with that kind of reach out to me and just say like, okay, how, how do you set up your turn one? How do you decide what to activate? What do you do? You know, how's that kind of go for, for you? So having four pretty solid players, I thought that'd be a good topic for us to um, address. And then the big thing that I also want to talk about is just we're in third edition. We're, you know, three years into it. We're basically three books into it. And there's definitely some people that feel the burnout bug. And I've had a lot of close friends who've had to deal with this in Malifaux. I've had to deal with it in Malifaux. I'm sure everybody here has had to deal with it. So we're just going to kind of talk about that real quick and just be like, hey, you know, when you kind of start feeling burned out by this game a little bit, what are some things that uh, that you can do? But before we get into both of those, make sure that you guys check us out. You can do that on Discord, Twitter, and YouTube. You can actually check us out. Uh, we'll probably start putting videos out again probably I'd say next month, uh, getting things settled down in the house, should be able to start putting out some YouTube content again with some of the uh, bat reps that I had with Dixon and Maeve and some other people. And then Discord's always just kind of going back and forth. We put stuff on there about the podcast, about things that are released, uh, hobby stuff. We got the Beard Minis on there who apparently started playing Malifaux again. So he's been dropping some pretty funny memes on there. Uh, with these faction GG3 episodes we've been doing, uh, somebody put on a meme there of like uh, Anakin Skywalker talking about it. And Padme's like, so you're going to do 10 Thunders next, right? Right. And people knowing the Rage Quit Wire will probably know that'll be our last uh, faction we do it with because uh, that's probably the faction Dixon and I have the least amount of experience with. Or like, and, and <laughs> again, it's like, I can't really say that for too long because it happened with me in Bayou that Pete changed my mind. So I would not be shocked if somebody out there can do what Pete did for me in Bayou. Yeah. And I will say that there are keywords that have like maybe interested in 10 Thunders at times, but just something's holding me back from just taking that full jump in there. I don't yep. know what it is. Wastrel, Red Wastrel's Library good. to an extent, uh, and Lynch. Those are the three keywords that I look and go, oh, maybe, Tempt maybe. Tempted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, finally, if you want to support us directly, you can do that at patreon.com slash ragequitwire, where you can support us for as little as a dollar. And if you become a patron and you uh, you're, have your timing right, we do these live recordings. So people actually come on, they get to ask questions and we'll kind of answer them as we're kind of chatting along here. So if you want to ask random questions and hang out while we're recording, definitely become a patron. And uh, finally, if you want to support us indirectly, you can do that by going to give us your money, please. Thank you. Dash weird.com slash rich wire. And that goes to the podcast a little bit. 
So getting into everything here, turn one, I think is def, especially for like brand new players coming into Malifaux, the board is so open. It's kind of like overwhelming for a lot of people. I'm like, okay, how do you approach your turn one? So I just want to kind of get some general thoughts and then we can get into some more specifics. But Cody, obviously it's different between like what you pick to play, but when you're doing turn one, how do you decide to go about it? I'm a big fan of like chunking things down into smaller, manageable sort of um, ideas. So I'm like a big fan of modulizing your list. You know, these two guys run together. These three guys run together. Because a lot of the times when new players write lists, they say, here's a synergy, here's a synergy, here's a synergy, here's a synergy. Let's throw all these in the same list. And as soon as you have to deploy and there's a big fat house in the middle of your deployment, <laughs> Uh, it all sort of crumbles. So I think chunking things down into smaller, um, more manageable ideas is often a good way to start thinking about um, how you're going to play. Because the ultimate goal is you're going to be able to have plans on turn one for turn five, right? And <laughs> any way that you can make shortcuts for that, uh, you know, I think you're in a good space. Um, yeah, I think that's a good general plan. Like, I've been learning how to play Nelly kind of recently. So I'm like, okay, I want Nelly, Allison, and the Guild Mage to kind of be together. Um, uh, and then I want Nelly kind of off by herself. I want, you know, maybe the printing press to kind of be the in-between there. So if I need to push somebody, I can. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of things where I think it's good to have a loose synergy with smaller groups that way you can kind of be flexible because like you said it's not an open board you have to kind of move around terrain your opponent's gonna interfere with it so you got to be flexible definitely with what you're doing i'm i've often used the term playbook as a way of sort of uh, also creating shortcuts insofar that you know you have like three main plays that you're going to run on turn one one of which is you know your henchman gets too focused and he gets pushed by this and then you're going to go attack that minion last activation turn one that's my throw the henchman play and then you got some other play where you're going to stack the left flank and you're going to put your most durable model on the right flank and that model's going to go second to last and the whole point is that uh, they're going to send their beater over to him which is going to take them long enough to kill him that's your denied flag play whatever uh, so <laughs> I think uh, thinking about things like that on turn one and putting them on the table against yourself uh, is like a good way to also <laughs> take shortcuts. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I like to add some because uh, I can I echo a lot of the sentiments that he's talking about. Uh, I say a lot on the podcast, setting the line of scrimmage. Dixon, and you I definitely think, do that. Yeah, and I, and I definitely attribute a lot of the setting the line of scrimmage to what he's talking about. Maybe we do it different, but the idea is the same. Well, because he's setting the line of scrimmage by flank. Like he says, he puts a sturdy model on a flank and he makes it so that that line, I am covering this entire area. Yeah. And I think to give people a visual of that, Dixon and I were playing a game today and turn one, I have Nelly and it's wedged. So it's getting pretty, you know, we're going to mix it up pretty quick, but you ended up throwing your master McCabe up into Nelly. And then <laughs> later in the turn, you brought both your botanists 
up into basically the rest of my crew. So I know you were trying to bottleneck me in my own area because we were playing covert ops. So yes. luckily I was playing Nelly too. So I could, you know, just kind of teleport my guys over you. Right. But if I wasn't, you would have just stonewalled me there for like a turn and a half at least. Because it's a shock and off strategy, which is. But I play um, you enough. I expect it. Yeah. But it's, it's <laughs> correct. Correct. But this, this is one of the things that I assume Cody was talking about when he said playbook. One of my plays is shock and off. I do that and it starts forcing mistakes on the opponent. It just yeah. so happens that you're used to it. Now, yeah. Cody, what would you have as because that's one of my strategies. What would you consider a, a, a playbook strategy that you like to do? Do, not, do you want me to name like a specific master? Oh, I, I can I can give you an exact uh, example of shock and all. Uh, I've been messing around <laughs> with Levy too uh, recently, right? And one of the plays you gotta you gotta plan for this at list writing, right? Is uh, the mech rider can throw a scrap token uh, using her bonus action twelve inches up the board. And then Ashes and Dust, which is not a typical model you see in Levy 2. Uh, Ashes and Dust can then go 12 inches with his bonus action. And then he's been given a focus from the Scavenger. And he uh, he's moving 7. And the whole point is you're going to go shock and all. Um, and you're going to kill like a totem. Like a 4 health model. Last activation turn 1 because you have pass tokens too. So things like that. And you know you're going to trade down. Because Ashes and Dust is eventually going to lose the fight in their deployment zone but right. it's you're going to be in a positional advantage and that would be an example of like a shock and awe play they're turning yep. around then to deal with ashes and dust right. so they're no longer reacting to the goal of scoring points they're reacting to this menace in their backfield and i'm so glad that you did that because i love that combo with levy too and i've nobody i have talked to yet has done that so i'm glad that you you have in some effect, used it well. <laughs> you, you, we talked to a gentleman that did do that. <laughs> yeah, they, he just said he didn't think Ashes was that was as useful as other things. As valuable. But John, I know you do your turn ones. Like I feel like if we're talking about like I'm going to shock and awe you, I feel like John, you do more kind of like careful planning. Like you're 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 really trying to figure out how you're scoring points, not necessarily just punching people. Um, for the most part, that's true. Um, typically, what will what will happen is I'll draw my first hand, and that uh, that determines on which strategy I'm going to use. So if I have a strong hand, then Good I'm point. then I'm going to set up for like everybody else does, is try to make my last two activations uh, inflict some uh, pain on the other person. The depends on wh where I think they're going to try to score their points. So I'll send maybe my range model off to wherever. Uh, their weaker models are and try to try to trip them, chip them down, if not remove them. Yeah. Um, but typically if I have a, a terrible hand, which is more often than not, then my, <laughs> my, my idea is to uh, see if I can't maneuver towards my points and then uh, put those cards in my discard pile for turn two and turn two is where all the action goes. So hopefully my deck is a little hotter going into turn two. Actually, this is a perfect opportunity for something. I've been playing uh, against uh, Danger Pants in, in Basel, mm -hmm. a gentleman from Australia. In, he loves to play like Ten Thunders with its Misaki and Shenlong. Mm -hmm. And he goes without hands all the time because apparently Shenlong too has great teacher. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that a thing? Is that a thing that, that, that you can have as a backup plan? Do you think it forward? Like, what, what's when do you play Great Teacher? 
the great teacher has a if, if you're not if you're not trying to be aggressive the great teacher gives a plus flips to all minions so you can do a, a minion heavy list and if you stay in keyword everything has chi so if you stack up enough chi typically you you can punch over the uh, the attacks of key models and that if you, you hold a 13 to make something miss that that's typically the way to go and then you add your model to go score points later yeah, yeah i saw I, that yeah and i think the big thing that if especially Generally, turn one, and you guys can kind of talk talk about this as well, but I feel like turn one is you want to move into position. If you can unpack without doing as many walk actions, that's usually better. So models like Bo Peep, that can help your unpack, you know, push your models up, uh, disease containment unit, um, ride with me's and fly with me's. Wandering monks in, in 10 thunders. Yeah. They push people around, or my yeah, personal favorite dirigible is ride. Dirigible ride and explorers. <laughs> Horrible uh, hollering. Oh my god! Hey, what guild has mounted guard? There's this so, little these models that help out the unpacking. I don't know about you guys, but I usually try to bring at least one model like that that's going to help me unpack, and then I try to have something in my crew that's going to hand out either a positive effect, maybe like a positive flip, or maybe it's going to hand out focus. And then finally, you want kind of one or two models that you want to end last to either get into position or maybe start killing models. So that can look very different, right? And I like what Cody said with kind of having a playbook. Like when I play Maw Tucket, I have a Maw Tucket playbook. And one of them is Maw is going to, you know, do creative cussing to give out focus to everybody. She's going to horrible holler twice, put a pit trap down, draw some cards, and that's it. And then another Maw playbook is I'm going to chuck Maw up the board and kill something. So <laughs> you can do that with a variety of different models, Bo Peep, you can have Alphonse. But the point is, you, what John said, looking at your cards, if you have like weeks and moderates only, you're not going to do your aggressive plays. So you're going to set up by giving out focus, concentrating, getting into position. Whereas if you have a strong hand, then it's like, okay, I can try to kill something this turn. How the, okay, John, I know that you only, you, well, you're notorious for playing Monk, but mm -hmm. is there a way to draw cards? Like, is there a, a mobility trick or a draw card trick? Because those are the two things that I keep missing when I'm playing 10 Thunders. Uh, so for, for Shenlong in particular, um, if Shenlong's in uh, four wind style, he has the, the four wind, or the Wandering River style, I should say. He has the four winds bunch. So you, you can uh, spend a chi to move anything six inches in your crew, and then it's an opposed flip to move uh, something in the other uh, poison crew. And then you can also move scheme markers, corpse markers, and scrap markers along with that. So mobility, mo well, mobility for Shenlong in general is is typically you just um, easy. If you go with Shenlong early, you're setting up like like in uh, Shenlong two where you're the teacher. You want your plus plus flips for your minions up faster, so Shenlong will go early. And then uh, okay. sometimes they don't see they don't see that the, the the students can actually move stuff around as well. So if they go late in the game, they can move a beater into position because they can copy they can copy the, the wandering river style and do a four winds punch once once and then move a model move a model six. Um, but it, since you're using McCabe and explorers and all the, all the stuff for Moving stuff with the McCabe uh, applies to Thunders. Uh, you got the ride with, uh, three ride with me's if you take two uh, 
Rough Riders. I try not to. Right. But yes. <laughs> and that's assuming you do McCabe one. Oh, okay. If you do McCabe two, then you have however many Rough Riders you bring. But well, what do you use to card draw though? In Thunders currently, if you're doing Shenlong, uh, Koji's pretty much the <laughs> the way to go for card. Koji's gross. Uh, Is he the only one? Shenlong in Shenlong. You can draw cards with uh, Sensei Yu. He's got good for a laugh. I see you bring the emissary too. Uh, really? I guess you can draw. More card fixing. Yeah, he does a. He has a bonus action where you can uh, set aside whatever you have in your hand, draw back up to what you had in your hand, and then put what it, what you had in your hand on the top or the bottom of your deck. So if you had, um. There's two, two there's two ways to, to, to go about that. So um, if you want if you have a weak hand uh, and you want to put that on the bottom, you can do that, or you can put it on the top and then try to, to manipulate your deck to in such a way that all your stronger cards are on the bottom. Uh, the the problem with the emissary is he's he's just not as as good as some of the other versatile models in the game. So yeah, uh, trying to spend point, send, spending ten points to try to fix your deck is not, not a good way to go about it. Not, okay, not so that's the reason why. Yeah, I was looking at the trigger. I was like, oh, yeah, he can do this. How come I never see it? Just, the Emissary does have legs in uh, Yenlo, too, where Yenlo uh, uh, does the obey to make him charge. Um, and then he, he gets that. When, when he charges, he just places and then does a pulse and it makes everybody take a target number. All the bad guys take target numbers all around him. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when the the upgrades on one of the other minions, the other minion can tell Yenlo to do a thing, and the Yenlo can tell the emissary to, to charge or move again, and then you, you get another target number and an attack or whatever. If he's not yeah. if he's not charging, so there is legs for the emissary and Yenlo too, at least. I am so afraid that I'm gonna actually enjoy playing Yenlo too. Yeah, because he he speaks to me. Yeah, he's a lot a lot, <laughs> lot harder after the nerf. But there's a balance between how many minions you take and 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 how many beaters you're bringing, um, because you get a lot of card draw out of the the, the, the new Yenlo too. Because uh, every time that you attach an upgrade to a a, a model, uh, or not every time, but once but once per activation, um, you can draw a card if you you attach an upgrade. So, you know, kicking uh, spending the the minions uh, AP to throw an upgrade just to draw cards is typically the way to go. Yeah, and turn one's kind of interesting with card draw because I know some keywords, I'll kind of turn one, I'll get a crap hand. And if I'm playing somebody like Zip or I was playing like Nelly, I'm like, okay, I can keep this crap hand because there's probably not going to be engagement right away. So I can just kind of try to filter my hand a little bit to try and draw better cards. That way when the engagement actually happens, you know, it'll it, it'll work, right? Um, Cody, I, I do want to ask you because I've noticed you play kind of two different ways when you and I have played a couple times. Um, there was one time where I just saw you go just kind of balls out and you just straight up just killed my stuff like pretty easily, right? And then there was another time where I was playing Hoffman and it was before the Hoffman 2 nerf and you were playing Double Master, Nakima, and, and Zoraida 2 and you were playing more KG there. So I just... I want to kind of get your idea of turn one kind of threat assessment there because that definitely changes how you'll play turn one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, a general lesson that can come from that because, I mean, the short story is uh, that was like my second Neverborn game and I, I was testing a list <laughs> that was designed to kill Terra 2 that whole weekend. 
and some like whatever let's run it and hop into let's see how bad this is oh this is really bad so um actually yeah so maybe the lesson is um on turn one you can always just walk back to your table edge like literally the table edge um if you've lost list creation which i mean is definitely going to happen you're going to lose list creation from time to time and the and especially because the meta is very heavy on uh yeah, wood chippers. Where if you wander in the middle of the board, you're just going to get chipped into pieces. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times, if you just if you delay the game as long as possible, their actions being better than yours matter less. Especially now in a GG like this one, where it's the the points are pretty competitive, and um, most of the blowouts come from your models dying. The longer you delay your models dying and the more the game becomes we're both walking and interacting with three quarters of our activations, uh, the smaller that disparity gets. And you can accidentally luck your way into wins where your opponent just picked the wrong schemes and didn't expect you to just... I think everybody's back. been there where you build this crew and then your opponent reveals theirs. And you look at your opponent's list and you're like, I cannot fight this. I cannot compete against this. I need to do something else. That's when you got to go. You got to like run away, try to keep yourself yeah, alive, yeah. get some points, deny his points by throwing sacrificial pieces. I know that I've, to you, Pete, I have thrown models literally just to die, just so that you don't get the point. Pretty much. Yeah, it's like, okay, here, have my goal. Yeah, like in that particular game, I had a 16-point Nakima that was dead weight. So, because if she just if she goes forward, if I'm lucky, she kills a one of those little metal doggies, yeah. <laughs> and then she dies. Um, that's a huge trade down, especially in the Zerida two list where you're carrying so much support bloat. You ain't gonna get shit done. You're gonna kill one doggy and then you're gonna lose the game. Um, so in that situation, I was just kind of delaying, and it, I think it got I almost lucked into a tie at the end, if I remember. Yeah, um, I had a red joker kind of just sitting in hand, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like um, a situation where I could have got lucky, and it was closer than it needed it deserved to be. Yeah, because you didn't you didn't engage with that, and that started at turn one. You kind of huddled around a house, and you were kind of waiting to see if I was going to overextend, and then you sent your Cillarids around the very far flanks to the point where if I went to chase them, that kind of opens up the game for you. Yeah, yeah. I remember my whole gamble was that you picked catch and release with one of the dogs. And if I somehow luckily picked the right dog, I could maybe win. Um, <laughs> so my whole plan was hide until I see a dog that's looking cagey. And then I'm going to send the Kima at it. Armor two I dogs. Just, they're good. I just <laughs> realized that that game may or may not have gotten better in the archivist side because of Frotchim. Frostion generates a pass soak and therefore making it easier for the Hoffman player to wait it out. That's crazy. So turn one, I, I you guys can tell me, but I generally use my pass tokens turn one because I'm usually setting up to kind of, you know, get the last activation if I can. Is that is that kind of what you guys do as well? Bro, be honest. You literally cheat down with Ma 
to get that extra two pass tokens. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, come on now. You're not wrong, <laughs> but I use them, right? <laughs> yeah, but no, no, but that's the thing. That's the thing. For example, uh, Misaki, Intent Thunders, or freaking uh, the Shadow People, they have Jin Bakura. And now Archimist, no matter who it is, they have Fraction. Getting the last activation seems to be a very powerful thing. It is. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I'm just talking from experience. I wasn't trying to be a troll. I apologize. I mean, but why not both? I agree. <laughs> but all of you would agree, right? Last activation turn one is like key a lot of the time. It doesn't guarantee winning, but it definitely gives you that, you know, that extra edge. Well, to your point, well, I think uh, the, the main consideration for the pass token is whether or not you, how many how many beaters you brought. Um if your hand, hand is strong enough to, to, to go after stuff at the end of the turn. Um, so if you if you want to try to remove pieces at the end of the turn, then the pass token, you spend the pass token that way so that you, you guarantee last activation. Or if you, if you have the beaters in reserve and open for a turn two, then then you hang on to them and, and save them for your initiative flip. Yeah, I think most times after turn one, I usually do hold on to them. Because the action's usually going back and forth, you know, good enough where I, you don't need to use them usually after turn one. Sometimes you, sometimes you do if it's important. Um, but generally turn one, I'm using it just if I can get that last activation specifically. Hey, uh, Danger Pants, oh, Lance. I'm just going to say Lance for now. He has a very good question. He, he's talking about uh, getting the last activations, getting the last activation, uh, two activations, whichever it is. Does that depend on deployment, or is it is it even relevant? Like, what is what are your thoughts? My thought is it just adds to the equation. It doesn't subtract. Uh, it just says how many actions, how many more actions, and how many more models do I have to touch your stuff? What yeah, because I was, I mean, I was playing Lady J, right, and I was playing the second version, and we were in corner, but I was able to take a mounted guard, ride Lady J up, and then place her within 33 to give her another like two or three inch place and lo and behold she's on the midline ready to mix it up you know turn one so it, it, i think and usually people wouldn't pick lady j to go into a corner game but with 33 and some other kind of nifty out of keyword tick uh, picks you can do you can still do the thing you want to do and then you're on the midline ready to do your thing um, if, if you have that capability in your keyword, it definitely is a positive. Um, yeah. but if your Thank keyword you can't Brockton's, do that. Thank you for the Brock inspector, by the way. Yeah. But if your if your keyword can't do that, then it's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't bring them in the corner. Or if I have guns, maybe I can just slowly kind of walk up and shoot you. Uh, it just kind of depends on your crew, but yeah, deployment does pay, play a big part of it. I don't know about you two. If, if, if there, if deployment changes your mind that much in kind of what you're doing for turn one. So for deployment, typically pe people expect you to, to line up in like, let's say for wedge, you expect to find, find a beater close to the, the center of the, the spear right there. Um, but if you try to try to angle them out in the flank, sometimes they get caught up, caught out. So if you, you wanted to, if you, you're doing the aggressive game and, and you want to push and you, you could put all your support models towards the center of the table and then put, put your attackers out on the flanks and then, then they can flex to wherever they need to go. Um, but if you went back to the, the past tokens, like you were saying before, that um, there's a lot of things that go on with the 
the, how you're scoring your points. And if you need to, you need to know what. If it's more important to remove pieces than you, you you're, you're using your pass weapons to try to, to get your the most favorable favorable attacks against your uh, opponent. So. But then if you but if you're trying to go for positioning like you need to be you need to be at a point then you're trying to figure out where, where your your opponent is so then you can move your scoring pieces around where they are so I do have a question about that because my game plan seems to always be can I get to your face first and try to rip it off so that is is a completely different game plan than most people you're talking about positioning what are you looking at when you look at the position because I'm pretty sure most of our listeners like to do the I want to get ready for turn two. So, what are you looking for? It's a, it's a game of sixteen. Like at a house, right? Uh, uh, what? I'm sorry. It's a game of sixteen points. So you, you, a, you got to work, worry about your points first. So, if, oh. so if the the opponent's pushing up the field and you and you need to get get around them or whatever, you, uh, the the pass tokens will help you know where, where he is, so then you can move your pieces to to where they're more likely to survive. So the, okay. the terrain does come in to come into play. You, you, ideally, you like to block line of sight to the stuff that's going to score your points. Oh, okay. So your setup is try to keep them alive long enough for them to score you the points. Um, typically, yes. Okay, okay. I like that idea actually. I gotta start thinking about that because that happens to me against Pete all the time. <laughs> Literally the other day, I was the aggressor, and all of a sudden he buried my master, and I lost the game almost immediately on the spot. <laughs> get in the box yeah so okay so your idea is try to use line of sight blocking stuff to get ready for turn two to start scoring points yes is that correct yes Next. what about you cody in terms of like how you're scoring you, points well the idea that because i am i'm just like very aggressive so i'm trying to wrap my head around what are you guys are looking for for turn two? Are you trying to, like John said, that he's trying to keep his stuff alive so that they can score points on turn two. So what is your positioning stuff? Like, how do you unwrap that gift? You know, deploy it, take it out on turn one. It's so nuanced based off deployment and list and the difference between your two lists and stuff. Um, if I could break it down to the simplest question. Right. Um, let's say the simplest question for this is, should I cheat initiative on turn one? Because what that means is like, how important is it for me to get last activation, right? How important is it for me to get the better alpha or something like that? And then I think if you can maybe answer that question and then that maybe that's an easier question than all of them at once. Hmm. Um, so you don't so set for, traps or anything? Um, I don't know what you mean. No, uh, meaning as in like you said, so like sometimes I want the fight to start, so I'll throw a throwaway sacrificial model into range that if you don't kill it, then I get you know a chance to hit you for free. Yeah, that, sure, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. A, like a peace trade. Yeah. So do oh, you yeah. do that kind of stuff? That's what I mean. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, basic, I basically only play war games to play peace trading. I feel like... Right. I, I mean, you could basically conceptualize all war games as like a mix of, between RPGs and chess. Mm -hmm. And the thing, that, the thing they all have from chess is peace trading, and that's the most compelling thing. And then the thing they took from RPGs is success, fail, and that's the cringe part I hate. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I like peace trading for sure. I basically play catcher's mitt in like most oh. of my lists. But, yeah, I mean. Um, so, okay, so you set it up so that they come to you. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I think a good way to put that is kind of like there's kind of two ways to do it right, and one is if you're playing the catcher, catcher's mitt, is you try to kind of put something out there, but you try to blunt that attack coming in as much as you can. So I I do things like I'll put up concealment auras, or if I have sputtering exhaust, I'll move them into position to cover most of my crew. Uh, I'll put maybe pianos out to block things, coffins out to block things. Um, try to, you know, maybe blow something up uh, as far as terrain goes. Um, put out distracted if I can on certain models. So there's just ways where if you have like extended reach, uh, take the hit models. Those are other good ways, like if you think your opponent's going to be aggressive or if you want them to be aggressive, kind of just move your little pillow fort up, as Dixon has called it before, yeah. um, which that story keyword did a good job of making a little pillow fort. There, yeah, I was shocked how efficient it was. Uh, but you actually pointed out something with the extended reach. Uh, sometimes the most simplest of strategies is usually the most game-winning in this game. Uh, for example, you're playing against a melee only crew and you have two beaters that have extended reach and somehow your opponent has to overcome that and that yeah. wins you the game because that happened that happened against us multiple times either me or you doing it I, the most famous one in my opinion was when you were playing wastrel and you brought a jorobumo and gave it an upgrade and just like walked forward <laughs> and that's all you did you just walk forward with people around walk forward and killed people yep and, and it's, I, it's a very simple strategy but yeah. it worked and I think the other way is just setting up your your turn one just to make it most efficient going in. So that's just kind of planning, putting out focus, maybe putting out fast on models. Um, maybe you're doing damage to get effects and then you're healing your stuff up to get them back to full. So yep. that's just the type of stuff that you want to look for on turn one. And I, I think that the best way we can is what we just did to kind of generally explain it. Um, what I think that people would want to pay attention to is when either people are talking on a podcast or maybe a battle report or something, look at how they unpack. Or if you're at a tournament, watch people unpack their turn one because it looks different for each crew. There's support models that move things. There's support models yep. that put it up focus. Cody talked about the stupid uh, whatever guys for Levy 2, the uh, whatchamacallum, the uh, why can't I think of their names right now? Oh my the guys, God. The guys that put out focus. Yeah, scavenger. Yeah, the scavengers. scavengers. Yeah. So, I mean, their job is just there to kind of like, you know, put out focus and just kind of profit, yeah. right? I don't even know how that model stayed at S class, even after getting nerfed. It was like S tier model. <laughs> well, it used to put and out then got nerfed, too. <laughs> And it went S tier still. I was like, what the hell? Uh, I do want to say a, a neat trick that I got way back in the day when I, when I was like getting very serious into the game. I made my own personal map. Uh, it was like, you know, just uh, whatchamacallit, foam or whatever. And what I would do is I literally at my house just like put my crew out, physically put my crew out and just like do turn one without my opponent. Because once you get proficient enough to do that, then you can start adapting to whatever your opponent does yeah. to you whenever you play an actual practice game. And if you and it helped do, me a lot. If you do your turn one like that, mm -hmm. like it's not going to look the exact same every time. But if you practice your turn one, you're going to play faster, right? Like, I can do my turn one, specifically with Maw Tucket. I can do my turn one, I think, in, like, less than five minutes. Like, yep. it, it's pretty easy, like, once you do it. Yep. I used a, 
uh, by the way, for examples of people, uh, look up uh, 3D terrain. I mean, not 3D terrain, um, 2D terrain, you know, the little thingies that we have for yeah. uh, ball. That you do that, you just throw it around and start playing around with it, thinking that it's like high five and whatever. Trust me, it, it, it really it speeds you up and it, it helps you visualize how to unpack your group. Yeah, and looking at, I mean, this obviously takes a lot of reps to kind of get this all down. And I know, if, especially if you've been playing for years in Malifaux, one thing that I know a lot of community people, like I know John's a good TO, Cody's kind of definitely active in the meta. And the big thing that I think a lot of people talk about is just kind of burnout. Like the Students of Conflict, we're going to do kind of this burnout episode. And, you know, they've been doing a lot of content, so I think they just decided to kind of, you know, kick it over to me, which is fine. But <laughs> looking at burnout, it definitely is a thing. If you're the if you're the organizer of the group, you have to kind of manage that with your players. And even if you're just a player, you have to, you know, manage it yourself. So John, I kind of want to kick this to you first because you've been running that Atlanta meta, you know, and been in it participating for a while now. So just what do you think are some of the things that cause burnout in the game of Malifaux specifically? So typically when you go to like an event, um, people like to compare Malifaux to other games. And uh, typically on on uh, average, people say that the players for Malifaux tend to be nicer than everybody else. And for the most part, that's true. But then there's, there's people that rub other people the wrong way. And uh, I don't want to play against said persons. Typically uh, a thing where if they think somebody's going to show up, then, then they don't show up. Yeah, you get some of that cattiness going, right? But for the 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 the, the other side of the coin is that the game is is so complex in such a way where uh, maybe the people get into the game and they realize it's not for me. There's there's too many rules and or whatever their their justification is. But there's some games where oh, I can sit here throw a dice and I have a fifty percent chance to win. Because sometimes they feel that they don't have a fifty percent chance to to win in in a game where they can go up against somebody that. That just puts the time in. Yeah, everything that you said, I've seen. I think the main reason that I've seen people for burnout has been competitive events. But I can definitely see the whole luck thing. Um, Sometimes instead of getting good, I just want to get lucky. Right. Um, but then I guess it's just there's things going on outside the game for everybody. So, um, yeah. so maybe it's work that 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 pulls them away or um, they got other obligations. So there's not really a, uh, sometimes they play, they play the game so much that they, they just run into a, a model or a new keyword that they, they don't know how to, to, to they, they don't want to take the time to figure that out. And they just feel, they feel it's overpowered. And I spent all, I spent, yeah, I spent all this time learning how to play the game. And then, then I got to learn this. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I think that that's a lot, a lot of where the burnout may or may not rear its head. Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of like I think there's a general just kind of like you know burnout for that reason, but I I also think power creep it it doesn't impact me because I've seen a lot of power creep in my day. Um, my burnout definitely comes more of just kind of the grind of it specifically with me it's kind of the podcast and i was running stuff and i wanted to play and i had to get my games in to know what i was talking about because you're right i mean especially when there's books being released i mean each time that spe specifically with malifaux a new book gets dropped 
I mean, each faction gets what one to three models. I mean, in the last couple of books, it was more than that. So I, I know that's a big thing for people. It's just like, man, there is so much coming out and I thought I had it locked down, but then we had, you know, everybody got a new master and it just got crazy on me. Uh, Lance has a very good question. He says, do you think the speed at which new crews models are being released is a big contributor to burnout? Is it better to have one expansion per year? I mean, one expansion per year doesn't feel like a lot, but I've heard it from friends that it does feel like a lot. So I'll, I'll start first with this because I have pretty strong opinions about it. I think in real life, it's not an issue, right? Because they slowly kind of creep out and release the boxes. So like right now, everybody's getting used to, I think Castor just came out. So now you're going to start seeing Castor in the wild and you're going to, you know, start to figure out what to do with that. And then, you know, next month or the next two months, they're going to give you the new one. So it kind of slowly creeps it out for local metas to kind of hash it out. I, we were talking about this before we started recording. Vassal, I think, is the community that feels it super quick because it's just immediately there. You're immediately dealing with it. And if you aren't on top of it, you're going to get surprised. I get slapped in the face by this giant donkey dick. It's, it's really bad. <laughs> Uh, what what about you, Cody? How, how have you, like, what have you seen cause burnout or what has caused you sometimes to get burned out in Malvo? Yeah, I think we're, um, we're dancing around um, the word a little bit, uh, which is probably a little bit of a function of us, like you were saying, uh, um, kind of uh, coming together based off of some scheduling conflicts and things like that. I think uh, maybe the reason Clay invited me is I'm the psychologist of the area. But, uh, <laughs> um, so uh, so if you look up like a burnout, uh, typically you're going to see what is professional burn burnout, which I think in some ways you do, which is basically just stress. You know, stress prevents you from doing your job and mm -hmm. uh, frustration. And I think in some ways uh, John was hinting hinting towards that mentioning um you know if your your work-life balance is all messed up then you're probably going to have a bad time at game night which uh, my biggest tilt moments have definitely been a function of that where i just didn't have my life together and then i showed up on a <laughs> tuesday to play guild ball and i ended up wanting to uh tilt the you know rage quit um uh, so i think you know there's that element of burnout but when i think about hobby burnout it's more of a uh a nebulous thing that's more difficult to define and a lot of the times when people talk about how to cure burnout they talk about goals and i think that's the best way to define it is mm. it's about your goals to me uh and so far and, and by what i what i mean by that is if uh your burnout with the hobby i think you have um it's it's when you're you you basically have disparate goals to like what you actually want from the game. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, like say you're on the competitive grind, you know, you are spending all your time getting reps with X. And then after one tournament, you're like, why the hell am I doing this? Uh, that's, you know, a thing where it's like, m my goals are not lining up with the experience I want. Um, you know, it could be a, a TO goal, something like that. You know, you're you're putting a lot of effort into uh, creating and maintaining relationships with people, and you feel like you're not getting uh, any reciprocal 
interact, you know, you're not getting uh, what you're putting in back from other people, you know, so like your goals are not, you, you want to grow and make this yeah. great community, but it's just not like what you're getting is not, it's I, disparate from I got that with War Machine so hard. I was running, it was at the end of 2E and, you know, 3E was creeping in. So it was kind of weird because everybody was just not playing, right? So I would be throwing weekly events, you know, I'd throw in tournaments, only like three people would show up to a tournament. And, you know, it takes a lot to run and, or, you know, as a TO to run stuff. And when you see only like two or three people come out, you're like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I spending all this extra time playing this and running this stuff for people? War Machine went in Virginia, at least, uh, has our hobbies from like 20 to 30 man games uh, in a tournament to like, like you said, two to three people showing up to a tournament. It was it was a huge, it was, what do you call it? Cliff diving or whatever. Uh, so yeah, a bad. It was very, very bad. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I think all of us have been the guy sitting at the shop waiting for someone to show up. <laughs> you know, being the guy who's going to be, I'm going to be the one who's I'm the there on Tuesday. Yep. And I'm going to be the one who, if someone wants to show up, they're going to, I'm going to do the demo. And, uh, you know, maybe not for this system, but for War Machine. I was that guy for War Machine in Florida for a while, you know. And yeah, it, w- once you're faced with that realization, it's like, why the hell am I doing this? I think that is bur- hobby burnout because it's like, what what do I actually want out of this? You know, do I want to have, um, you know, a game every week or do I want to have, maybe I'm, I'm, I've gassed myself up into thinking well, I'm going to build a competitive community when there's no one else is, you know, down for it or something like, you know, any of those things could be, I think, uh, what burns people out. Do, do yep. you guys also think the reps can be part of the issue too? Like you have to get so many reps with your crew and models in the scenarios to kind of really get good at Malifaux. And then maybe you put so many reps in, you burn yourself out, but then also you see Damien come along and smash you oh. after you've put in all these reps. Like I, I pictured like John, you've put so many reps into Shen Long and some of these masters just straight up just dumpster Shenlong, some of these new ones. And that's got to be frustrating sometimes for players. I mean, if you can maybe attest to that a little bit. Um, yes and no, because sometimes, well, the, the big problem that I have is that my job doesn't let me play during the week. So this is why I'm known for traveling. If I want to play the game, I got to go find the games on the weekend. And if they're, if they're not here, I'm going elsewhere to find them. So, yeah. um, so if I don't have my reps and some of it some to me it, it's a learn it's it's that's where i'm getting my learning curve i go to i go to a, a gt or whatever and i face stuff that i haven't seen then sometimes it feels like i got dump truck uh, but sometimes it's more my list building i haven't seen what the other guy the other guy can do yet so uh, so my record doesn't really speak to to my experience because i don't i don't get to do the reps during during the week so so there are there are like I, like I was saying earlier, but there are players that just don't like playing other players, and um, I, I I've heard I've I've heard of some people in my meta where they're not going to show up if I show up because uh, they think that but I have so many reps that they, that they don't have a chance to win against me, so why do they even bother showing up? <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a good mentality. Because. <laughs> There's like F John. I don't want to come. Uh, I, I but, literally have people tell me that's a face. So I feel for John. Uh, the exact same thing happening. Um, but the, the uh, there's a, a weird weird employee that I that I did a demo for of 
uh, back before they got the job at, uh, at Weird or whatever, and it was second edition, and they were, they were running the the Dreamer Four box that came with like the Alps or whatever, and I was running I was running my uh, Lynch Core box, and then I didn't really know the disparity disparity between the two. So when I when I, I went in and I was, I was just playing the game and my stuff was that that much stronger because uh, Illuminated in Second Edition was just gross because they had ar- yeah. armor regen they could heal um, they, they they had like min four damage so they, they were they were just gross for seven points and hmm. and the, the, their core box wasn't doesn't all the core boxes didn't perform the same so when I was doing that yeah. de- demo I learned as I was playing it I was I was I was learning how to how to demo. And then I gave them a poor experience, and then they never showed up for tournaments or whatever. But so yep. there, there's there is that. I I do want to point out because you actually just mentioned something very important. I think that's happening now because what you call it? Uh, I think power creep is very obvious right now mm-hmm. that it's happening, and it's really really hurting the game. Uh, because and, and I'll say this example because I think Cody is very. Uh, acquainted to this. Uh, Leviticus. Why was Leviticus nerfed? Because his gun was doing four irreducible damage uh, very consistently, right? And he had, like, focus and all that stuff. Is that correct, Cody? Um, six and one, half dozen. I mean, I never shot his gun. I always put him in melee. Okay. But, you know, six, six irreducible is better than four. You know? Sure, sure. <laughs> but that, no, no, no. That's a good point. And that is in melee, though. So, in melee, he could do six. His gun could do four. And he got nerfed, though. That's the point that I'm trying to come across, right? Uh, and then they make they they nerf him, and then they make Hoffman too. And then Hoffman too starts terrorizing, and people get burned out because he's terrorizing everywhere, and the power creep gets out of hand. And then they nerf them to a more manageable level. And then we have Damien. And now we have <laughs> Damien. And that's no. And you guys now got into my feeling. Now I I believe. That the power creep is getting way out of hand, and unless they do something about it and course correct, there's gonna be a lot more people with burnout. Because I personally burned out twice in this game on third edition. I came back because of my friends and because I do love Malifo. Yeah, a lot of people have problems with that madness and Malifo book specifically. The there was some problems with the the second book that came out. Um, with the titles and stuff, I feel like they did a decent job of getting that checked where there's still some powerful things, but they're fine. Um, it just, it feels like some of the stuff in madness, they just didn't test well enough in my opinion. But I think the other thing besides power creep I've heard is actually gaining grounds. Um, I mean, we we can test on this podcast, Chris, our buddy hates this gaining grounds. So he he doesn't play because he's like, I don't like these strats, the schemes or whatever. And I just don't like it because it's all about pretty much killing. If you can kill your opponent's stuff, you can win the game. And uh, scheming and stuff doesn't matter quite as much. So I don't know if, John or Cody, if you've heard of anybody not being a fan of either this Gaining Grounds or a previous one. But I've seen that impact um, a lot of burnout as well. I'm not a fan of this uh, Gaining Grounds either. But I think we're both – I think you and John are both pointing on something that I feel passionate about. And that's um, that – one unfortunate uh, personality quirk of a nerd <laughs> is that we fall in love with things. Yep. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that means sometimes we feel like we have to have a breakup with things. 
And sometimes what it feel what looks like burnout is actually just someone having a messy breakup. Huh. Uh, and that's like a, I think it's an important distinction to make personally, when when maybe you've just ran your course with a game and it's time to move on and don't be <laughs> weird on AWP about it. Um, so like, you know, in the case of John, with the situation where someone doesn't want to show up because they don't want to play John, who's by all accounts, a lovable um, person who's fun to play against. I think that person is just going through a messy breakup. Um, and I don't think any amount of like balance fixing is going to change something like that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> because because to go back to my goal point, like what was this person's goal? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm calling out some Georgian. Uh, like what was their <laughs> goal before? Like was their goal to show up to the shop un, like, and flip cards and have a 50-50 shot of winning? Well, that was never Malifaux. Like that was never this game. <laughs> this game was always about doing your homework and always about, you know, like uh, getting your ass beat, <laughs> you know? So like in this case, you know, maybe this person, they have a goal of like not wanting to, because I've definitely been a filthy casual in plenty of games. Yep. I show, I play like some, some shooter I haven't played in months or something like that and just scream at everyone for being sweats. Do you think so, losing like, so much, Cody, like if you're that casual that just gets beat down by your meta, like you're just the guy, hey, everybody loves you, but they beat you up. That To me, that would cause like some serious burnout. If I can't win a game, I might love the game, but I'm tired of losing. Yeah, but mm. you, you either have to have new goals, which is like the solution to burnout Get that I was getting to, or uh, play a different game. I mean, sure. like if you if you want to play this game, even though you're losing all the time, like there are plenty of people who have been playing this game for 10 years and they lose 80 percent of their games, you know, and that's because their goals are hobby. Their goals are community. Their goals are story shenanigans on the board. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They want to yep. do some dumb combo that makes them lose. <laughs> but it was really cinematic, oh, you yeah. know, and uh, like um, if, if that's what you want, then you got to be uh, honest with yourself about that's my goal. And uh, I'm not gonna. And if and if 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 like you can't match that up with what you're experiencing, then it's time to move on. Okay, so basically, it's like okay, I'm feeling burned out because I'm losing. I either need to adjust it because if you are burned out about losing, apparently you want to win, so you need to make some changes to win, or you need a game like maybe you're better at a game like X Wing or a game like. 40k so maybe that's more something you should focus on as opposed to you know just keep getting your teeth kicked in if you can't improve at malvo i the way that i fix my burnout i play fighting games like video games i play video games for like two to three months and then i came back that's that's how i fixed both my the, the times that i burned down i just did that and i just felt better and i was ready to come back I have side games that I play. So I think now we're kind of transitioning to what I, I would hope is kind of like, okay, so you're burned out kind of like, what do you do? Right. And I know I, I take breaks when I'm feeling like, you know, I'm just not feeling this right now. I'm not feeling this person, you know, I, I don't want to play against that, you know, person in that group or the game's kind of too much right now. I don't want to deal with it. And I know, I think it was from pretty much after the Houston GT until January, I was just playing Age of Sigmar and I was I was just doing casual games. I didn't care if I won. I just wanted something different, something different to paint, some different play style. 
And it was a lot of fun. And yep. that kind of got me through it. I got Jones back for some of the Malifaux stuff. And, you know, I've been cranking it out pretty much since then. Also, uh, you had an example that happened with you and Chris. We talked about it in the 200th episode, but I, I think it, it bears uh, repeating. When you went to a tournament for AOS, then Chris uh, <laughs> went through. Yeah, like that. What was the experience with the guy? So like yeah, we went to an Age of Sigmar tournament, and the rules are just garbage. I'm sorry if you like if you like Age of Sigmar and you try to be competitive. Good luck. How you it having sucks. double turns in 2023? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, Chris. Basically, there was a line of sight thing. Like Chris is like behind this huge monstrous, you know, thing. And the guy's like, I can see it. And Chris is like, I'm hiding behind it. He's like, well, I can see your like staff. It's like, so how would I put this to block line of sight? And then they, they kept doing this circular argument. And it's just because the game's not clean, right? It's not a clean game. It's designed for beer and pretzels and stupid combos. And uh, Malifaux by far, I would say besides maybe X-Wing might be the most comp like balanced, competitive, like good rule set out there. X-Wing's just too clean. Like, you can't beat that game competitive, but it, yeah. it gets boring because it's kind of like, oh, we're doing the same thing, and I'm flying over here to avoid giving up <laughs> half points. And, I think like, the, as a high competitive, it gets kind of ridiculous. I think the, on, the only unbalanced thing right now in Malifaux is uh, some keywords are just way too uh, efficient. And yeah. if they were to fix that, they would and go they, back and to they will. Balanced. That's the thing, though. I think they will, right? Um but definitely taking a break and kind of getting a clear perspective. Cause like once you play a game like that, you might have fun with it, but then you're like, you get that competitive, you know, cause I think everybody gets that competitive itch <laughs> and you want a game where you have more agency and Malifaux, you just have more agency in what's going on. Actually, uh, now that I think about it, one of the things that helped me too was John inadvertently because you guys were telling me stories about John literally just playing the same keyword over and over again and just doing as best he could and it, yeah because yeah, i remember the first time i was playing the pandora thing and i was getting my butt kicked and then i heard about john and i was that's when i said i'm gonna take pandora uh to a single tournament i don't know if you remember me saying that I do. and i went two and two but i was very happy that i did that because it got it, it was like reignited my love for the game again and i didn't even win i was just like no, it was fun. <laughs> and that's a good that's a good question. Um, John, you know, like I think your your like zero damage tournaments are pretty legendary. <laughs> yep. In the southeast, like what what was, you know, what was the motivation going into something like that? Like um you know, like, did you want to mix it up in, in a way where you're like, you know, I've never even tried this before. Let's just see what happens, you know, or I guess, what were you feeling going into that? Um, so it, for me, like, like, I don't get the reps during the week. So it, it was my pacifist list was a thing where I was, so can I do this hard mode and, and maybe I learn other aspects of the game and then I can add that to my toolbox later down the road. So then, then it gets me focusing on where I need to put my models to score in addition, in addition to doing the damage output. So, so I want everybody to imagine Chris Leopard who Chris can be super like competitive, aggressive, right? So he was doing Cody's kind of method, right? He has the catcher's mid out. He's ready for John to throw that pitch. 
and John just decides to go walk out to right field and just <laughs> not engage with him whatsoever. <laughs> and Chris is just like, and by the time I figured out what John was doing, the game was almost over and I couldn't get any points. Oh, <laughs> uh, that yeah. So yeah, I remember that now. That was kind of funny because it, it was one of the main reasons. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, why am I focusing so hard on this thing that I'm not enjoying? Let me just. In- play the things that I enjoy about the game and it just got better all of a sudden. Yeah. And um, I think that, and, and John is highlighting on, I think what is my like primary motivation in playing the game, which is learning. So in that situation, John went into it, like, you know, uh, win or lose, isn't really the goal. The goal here is to, you know, mix it up and see what, see what new ideas I can learn. And um I guess when I have felt the most burnt out is when I feel like I had nothing to learn from like losses and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, um, since that is my goal, that's when I've like taken breaks and things like that. Yeah. And, and Lance had a, has a really good point on this. And I think this is important for all players to kind of understand. And I, I think I've heard people like Jim kind of talk about this a little bit where it's almost like, you know, what, what is the goal like when you play a game with somebody, right? So, and Lance over here is talking about when you have competitive meta with casual players, you can start killing your meta if you just are competitively stomping the casuals, you know, your, your club and seals, your, you know, your, your kicking babies, all this fun stuff, right? You're feeding and, your ego. That's what yeah, I like to call. And that's just like me right now, right? I'm in Wichita, which, you know, we have, I mean, I, we've had eight to 10 players. And we have a couple of people who are pretty casual, but we have like a few brand new players. We have some people who, you know, kind of only played a handful of games in 3E. And I was telling, I think I told you this, Dixon. I was like, I could not play Nelly because I did not want to just make my opponents mad that they couldn't do anything. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was just like, you know, let's play. I think I played Dashle 1, kind of a fun list. I played Lucius 2, kind of a, just I'm going to kind of punch you list. And, and I think that you have to, in your meta, in, in order to avoid burnout for everybody, not just you, is just kind of do the magic kind of rule one, right? Or rule zero, whatever they call it, where it's just like, okay, let's have a conversation. Oh, you're a brand new player. Okay, let's kind of do this game. And, you know, when I played Guild Ball, and I do this in Malifaux too, when you're playing against a new player, you want to feed them points, right? You want to teach them the game. You probably know how their crew works better than them show them how to kill stuff, show them how to interact with some of these cool triggers and stuff. And, and that's going to help your meta out. That's going to help avoid the burnout or cure the burnout in this case. Yep. Yep. Even if I'm losing, I, or winning, losing or winning, the idea is not to club of ABC. It is to teach them the game. I think that's, fresh, that should be the fresh blood, like fresh blood also cures a lot of burnout. Like when you have new people that are excited for the game, I don't know about you guys, but when a new player comes in and they're excited to get games in, get reps, they want to figure out how their crew works. That gets me, you know, reinterested in the game to help them kind of elevate their game. I think I spent like an hour at the store yesterday, just talking to a guy about zip and what boxes would be good for him to get next. And that that's the kind of stuff that really kind of rejuvenates a a meta. I do feed off that energy a a lot as well. And uh, also to add, like, if, if you do play a game and um, if, if they don't ask you the questions, you can you can uh, you can ask them maybe did you do you want to know the, the things that you you might have been doing wrong and do, do 
you don't you don't just tell them the pointers if they have to ask, they have to ask otherwise you, you don't know how salty they are at the end of the game or whatever. Um, but basically, the the mouthful community is pretty pretty well known for if you if you ask something whether it's during the game or after the game what they can do to improve the, the nine times out of ten the, the person is gonna to to help you learn what what you could have done or where where some of your bigger mistakes might have been. So then you can add that to your toolbox and, and you'll get stronger that way. Yeah. And I, John, I got to give you credit. I don't know how you don't get burned out with 10 Thunders and Chen Long. I could not do it because Dixon can tell you, people that know me will tell you, I bounce around factions and I do that mostly so I don't get burned out because when I play a new faction, I'm kind of rediscovering things and I figure out how different interactions work. So I, I definitely give you credit there because that's how I avoid burnout is by, ah, cool. I got new models to paint. I got new keywords to practice. I got, you know, new interactions to try. So that's how I avoid a lot of my burnout personally. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I'm also, playing guild again. Well, in, when we are, yeah. Oh, continue. No, no, no. Okay. While well, you're in the vein of Shenlong, the, the, the thing that Shenlong do, used to do was, uh, I have, the, I have this upgrade. I'm going to, uh, attach it to myself and then I run across the board and punch your stuff and now it's dead. But then the other three upgrades were pretty much more or less ignored. Um, so th yeah. there's, there's a, there's a ton of versatility to, to Shenlong. Um, th there's like several different ways you can play, play as a Shenlong. So it's, it's more about positioning and scheming and that just, that's just more to my play style. So. Um, gotcha. I don't know that it's a. Uh, I need to. I need to see new things to. I just uh, pretty much. I, I enjoy playing the game. Obviously, otherwise I wouldn't buy a plane ticket and go. You like kind of solving the problems with the keywords that you like. Yes. And then yeah. Shenlong pretty much has an answer to everything. The the problem is list building for. The, the the majority of Shenlong's problem is that seems like that seems like a Ten Thunder problem. Yeah, and crew knowledge because I noticed that about Ten Thunders in general, it's like if you know if you know enough information about your opponent's crew, I feel that Ten Thunders when I was playing it just has the best tools to deal with that. I don't know if, if I'm wrong, but that's what it felt like when I was playing it. Um, there's there's uh, uh, Shenlong in particular can answer just about every question in the game except for I think there's um. He has a little bit of problem with the gravity well, and then, but that's not that's not the worst thing. But, the, but but they get around demise. They get around healing. They have lots of healing. Um, I can't turn off healing unless I I bring out a keyword stuff. That's what I mean. Like yeah. Um, I can turn off triggers with the upgrade. Is it just me or is like the Jorobuma work very well with monks and with Wastrel? Uh, Jomo are pretty strong. Um, in, in sec the problem that I had is in second edition they have, they, were, they were stat five on their attack, so then when oh. when the third edition came around, I, I I didn't consider that they're now they're now pretty much worth their, their higher. And also, you got to be careful that you're not going to have an obey come in, come into your backfield and uh, flip your thing out. So, so I, I did want to ask you guys one thing because. I think TOs in the community in general, we have a good opportunity to kind of prevent burnout. And I don't know if a lot of metas do it, but what do you guys think about some of these different formats that people are kind of playing with now, like bands or double masters or singles or 
you even see what was it at Adepticon? They they did a what was that? A Masters. 40? 40. Well, they did like a forty point, like a yeah. forty stone tournament. Yeah, it's called Masters actually. The the forty point single, uh, and I don't know if they have bands on that one as well, but it's like forty point singles, and Masters have two actions. If I remember correctly, I, I don't know. Would keep would keeping it fresh with those different formats? Does that interest you guys and kind of like help? keep it interesting for you as a as a game or do you not like the different formats ideas i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't i just don't know like i just don't know who is not coming to a tournament and then they will if you do a weird format unless Hmm. you have something weird going on like i don't know like maybe you do have a situation where someone's bringing mad dog bracket into every list and someone is like oh i can finally ban his ass or something i don't interesting i don't, I don't know i just don't know who that person is well and uh, to me it's actually the opposite effect unless to grow league i think leagues are different right leagues are a good opportunity to do some of those more fun things but there was a there was a couple tournaments i was thinking about going to but depticon was just straight out just because i was like i don't want to play a 40 stone kind of tournament mm-hmm. and then there was another one. I think actually, John, it was, I think in Atlanta, I think you guys were doing like a one where you could play dead man's hand models. And I was like, I don't want to come down and like have to figure out, you know, Colody and all these other dumb masters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whose idea that was, John, but I, that made it like, I'm not coming. <laughs> uh, uh, so my meta is, my meta is typically for the most part, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're not the competitive team that, uh, with where you have a uh, Brandon, Brandon Grant and myself are, or the exception to the rule, more or less. But yeah. uh, we got a couple guys coming up that, that, that do play uh, regularly. So that, I think that they have the. That I don't. I I have I played a few games against them, so I, I don't know where where their competitive side sits. But for the most part, the I think my 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 meta tends to lean towards the casual gamer. That's uh, that's like that's great because that's the lifeblood of every game. I've gone through so many gaming systems that. I know for a fact casuals are the lifeblood of every single game in the system. Right, but but to go back to the question, uh, the question that was posed about the uh, the bands or single masters or whatever, um, I feel the the errata cycle is is a little slow, and then they they put that in as a stopgap to to not have to to because there's only so much playtesting they can do and so much information yeah. they can they can the game is so unwieldy it's 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 a to the point where they, they can't test it versus every model in the game. So um, so they put the, these little stop gaps in where um, maybe we can do this as a solution so that the, 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 the competitive players have, have more tools to, to get around the things that are uh, quote-unquote broken. Yeah, and just kind of looking at it, I, I think there definitely is a balance to that. I think the main thing is is consistency no matter what. So I know like I'm I'm the kind of person that I'm going to be there every week or try to be there every week. That way, if somebody does want a game, I'm going to be there. Nothing kind of, I think, burns out or kind of makes the community more angry is when they want a game and they can't get a game. Um, I know we've had a lot of games killed in South Carolina, well, in Charleston specifically, because all of a sudden it just dies out. Nobody's playing it. You can't find a game and you show up to the store, you know, you, you know, sometimes depending where you live, you got to drive like 20 minutes, maybe an hour to the store, depending on, you know, where you are 
I know Atlanta, sometimes it's probably like an hour and a half <laughs> during some traffic. Uh, Atlanta's, two, and, Atlanta's two hours from Atlanta. Yeah, it's it's just, it's frustrating, right, when you can't get a game. And I think it's important to have at least that one player, hopefully more than that, but at least one where it's like if somebody wants a game on a specific date, they, day, Monday, Malifo Monday, they can come in and get a game. Malifo Monday. Um, but I, I wish I lived closer to the, the, the game stores so then I wouldn't have the excuse to, but my job is such that I, I show up at 5 a.m. and then I work maybe 10 hours and then I, then I have to drive an hour and a half to get to the store in the evening. I can get home. Yeah. I can get home in 20 minutes because traffic's not a thing at, at, in the uh, after rush hour. But yeah, as much as I hate Vassal. It has kept my competitiveness up because Dixon and I have played so many games on Vassal and I've gotten some with like Nick and a couple other people because I, like I said, Chris stopped playing the game and I was like, well, I don't have anybody to play with. So I'm going to have to check out this Vassal thing. Yeah. And the, the saddest me. thing is I played Chris for like two months straight before I, I played uh, against Pete and then he quit. Because he realized that he was only enjoying playing against me, and that was it. Yeah. That was literally. Oh, he didn't even enjoy playing against me, huh? I see how it is. (laughs) I was the player that apparently (laughs) burned him out. Hey, man. I think it was more like he didn't want to have, he didn't have the energy to get out of the house for the game anymore. Me and him. That was the wording specifically. Me and him would butt heads, though, sometimes. Like, you know. Okay. That's, I think that's one thing. Like, if you start noticing that when you're playing against people, and you or them are continuously getting frustrated, you might want to address that because you don't want to have what Cody said and just have a bad breakup because you and this person can't get along playing this, you know, silly game. I don't know, Cody, any other tips you can think about for uh, healing or av- avoiding the burnout? Yeah, the, the, the one thing I was trying to hop in, and it's also kind of related to a couple of things, is like... Uh, uh, we were talking about playing its new players and sort of throwing. Um, but there's also like, because we were also talking about our burnout of being the guy who's at the shop every week and throwing all these games. And then after a month wondering, you know, why are we doing all this? Yeah. Um, so like my tip for playing against like players who are a couple of tiers below you uh not like i mean obviously if you're playing against the new players you know whatever have your models jump off towers and take fall damage whatever (laughs) um but like my tip is always in the thing i found the most success with is don't bring bad lists that you're not excited about take bad schemes and then also try and just not kill a model in turn one assume that if you're playing an equally skilled opponent they're not gonna let you kill a model turn one so and then if you're doing that and then taking bad schemes, you actually get to learn instead of uh, just lose be- and just go through the motions and know you're going to lose or know you're going to throw away models. Because then you get into uh, cool situations where you're like, wow, I actually can score this. I never thought I would ever be able to score this, but I took this scheme and it actually worked out here. Or, you know, you'll be in a situation where um you're like okay yeah sabotage is as bad as i thought it was you know okay <laughs> i learned something this game uh because this player beat the brakes off of me because i spent you know 12 actions trying to do this scheme that i would never take before so that would be my tip for avoding burnout while playing against players yeah. in the meta where you feel like you're way stronger 
Yeah, that's that's definitely a good. T- and unfortunately, I tried that today against Dixon, where I picked a scheme that I like never take. But that is a great point against a lesser opponent. I picked this scheme against Dixon, and I hate it. And we're halfway through, not even halfway through the game, and I'm not going to score it. And I'm just like, I thought I was. And then it avoided me doing something else that was beneficial. And I just hated it. But I think that's a great point. Like a new player, try to take public demo. See if you can run that scheme. Um, See if you like secret meetup. See if, you know, maybe you can go run schemes with, you know, your beater crew. (laughs) Do some goofy stuff, you know. And I like that idea, though. It's cool. And if you're playing those bad models that you hate all the time, you're just going to not have fun. And then you're going to be that guy complains like, I, you know, Man, I really hate this model. I wish it wasn't so good, bad. After after every game, and like no one wants to play against the guy who's salty about his own shit. Yeah, right. God, I'm so sorry. I am that guy, <laughs> dude. I because I love like like Pete was mentioning the wrestlers, and I love the wrestler, especially the guy that's lifting a pig above his head. Oh, such a cool looking model. And then you know I'm gonna be the salty bitch that's gonna be talking shit about the model that I'm literally using. Come on! Don't be well, you guy. you can be excited about bad models and be like, I almost got it, and then you you know you're having a good time. Or you can be the, but what I mean is like sometimes you know when you're playing against people who are like a tier two down, you you bring a bad model that you know is bad, and you're just like, yep. I, I go with this. I'm unexcited. You're unexcited. Please kill it. Yep, yep. I yeah, did. I don't I don't bring bad stuff when I play against like these newer players I'm playing right now. I just bring maybe a master that I'm not as good with yet. So that gives me the opportunity to practice with them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's uh, something I like doing for, for newer players. Yeah. So I, you're getting an experience. You're getting yep. a learning experience as well. Yeah. That's yep. It. Yep. Cause I, I'm, I'm doing that even for not new players. I'm doing that for Pete and I'm having a blast even when I'm losing because I'm learning a new master and he's getting, you know, to see at least some of the stuff that the master does. So it's like, I don't know what it is, but it just, makes me happy i was like oh sweet i'm, I'm actually doing like double duty maybe also, it's, it I, feels good to i've told people this before and this goes back to what you said john right where, where sometimes some people don't want to play against certain people and and that's fine i would say don't let it stop you from going to the store mm-hmm. but you know i used to play 40k a lot and fridays there'd be some you know 40k has those kind of tryhards that it's just like if you're i was kind of a middle tier 40k player back in the day and if if a dude friday night came up like that that was just a shark and they asked me for a game i'd be like nah i'm good and then when my friend would ask me for a game I'm like yeah let's go get a game you know because i wanted to have fun at that moment don't just play whoever you don't have to that's the thing i understand we want to be nice but if you really don't want to play against the player or don't want to play against this you don't want to play against damien you can go ahead and choose to not play against damien I've, I've done that before where I think it was Chris Leppard. He, he was like, I'm going to play Cadmus. And I'm like, you can go F yourself. I'm not playing. This, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, have your fun. Don't don't feel like you got to be pressured to play against this broken stuff. Uh, you know, if you don't want to play against it, don't play. Against it. I, I mean, I, I didn't do this because I thought it'd be bad form. Um, Cody, you're actually there at that Jacksonville tournament that we went to. And Chris played Cadmus in the final round. And I wanted to, I was just, I was debating, like, I should just give him this win. I don't think I want to play this game. And I was like, no, that'd be bad form. And then sure enough, turn three, I quit anyways, because it was a stupid game. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's an awkward drive call. Cat, 
I just hate, <laughs> before Cadmus got nerfed, I hated it so much. It just was uh, so just not fun to play against. I, I mean, as a caveat, I don't want it to be Yasunori. And what that's was the, last the only key. That? That's the only keyword in Malifo that I hated so much. I didn't want to play the game. Mm. All the other broken stuff, I'll give it a shot. You know, it's a struggle, whatever. I hated playing against Cadmus with wow. a passion. Like, burn it, it down. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I had that. Probably maybe augmented, but I'm not 100%. What about you, John? Um, I don't I don't hate any of the key, keywords. And um, I've, I've played against Damien all of once, and it, that that wasn't as bad as, as advertised. But I've, I've been around the game long enough where I can I can pretty much get the gist of what's what's going to happen and I can, I can adjust my game plan. But that that's the thing is the newer players aren't going to have reps, so they'll throw their hands up and this is I don't know what to do against this. But then um, they don't ask the questions. You can ask the questions in, in the game or whatever to, to see to what the, or before the game, to, what, what should I look out for? And after the game, what, what can I do better? Yeah. Yep. Also, newer players don't think, okay, how do I get points without fighting? Because that's actually a question that whenever you're playing in tournaments, that's a like I do that every now and then. I'd be like, okay, I can't win fighting. I think the how after action I... review is very important, especially yep. for if you just, especially a tournament, if you just trounce somebody, right? Like you're feeling very dejected at, at that point of being the loser. And a lot of times that person's not going to reach out for kind of like information and answers. Okay. And some, and you don't want to overburden them because sometimes if they're really pissed off, you're just going to piss them off more. But, you know, <laughs> just be like, yeah, I know, like you had some bad flips. You know, I understand that was frustrating. And then maybe you kind of coax them to kind of ask what they could have done. And then you can kind of, you know, maybe buy them a beer and tell them how they can tear your part apart list, you know, your list apart next time. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, what about you, Cody? Is there anything that you've been like, All right, I'm done with this? Yeah, I'm a big hater. Um, yeah, I would much rather, well, and it's about weird stuff. It's like, uh, it's mostly about stuff that takes a long time. Like Pete was talking about. I would much rather play against Damien two than fucking Reva two, for example. Like I don't take all those simple duels and stuff. Yeah. All of the ones where they're just jerking off on their side of the table and they're doing (laughs) a bunch of stuff where it's like, you know, like, it's just all right. You get. Let me know when I can play again. I guess. You know, this is uh, this is the weirdest coincidence. Lance in our chat literally said the exact same thing, Cody. Holy shit! Yeah, I mean, Revit, Yeah, she she attacks her own model, so there's a lot of condition tracking that you kind of need to manage because like she can you. flip it over to you. So if you're if you're completely spaced out, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. And uh, she also has, uh, you know, one of the worst mechanics across war gaming whereas if like if if you make an attack against a model it's a big like you definitely should not have done that uh and i it's always a bad mechanic when it's like oh yeah you should not have attacked my model it's like well i wanted to do something with my model and then it's like no you don't do that <laughs> uh and it's like a pretty annoying mechanic All right. um and, and yeah and they like like if you talk about power creep, but like, what was the worst meta where some where the best list was like, like X, and I think it was probably Cadmus because that was like just the most annoying, like tracking the shielded, tracking the the shared health pools, the this damage, you know, fifteen yeah. dice on the table. Yep. What has uh, ping? What hasn't ping yet? Who's gonna heal? Yeah, and summer too. Summer was also a terrible meta. Oh my god. 
there's no way you're getting like past turn four <laughs> uh, with because all of the overlapping auras you go to sh and that's another gotcha mechanic it's like okay well i'm gonna shoot this guy maybe uh first explain five auras to me and then it's like <laughs> oh, da, 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 da. okay well so if i kill this guy what happens well i'm gonna do this and this well if i kill this one i'm only gonna do this one uh, and then he's in these two auras and then oh yeah and then you have to double check them it's just i now, I now, hate, hate time I do, wasting I, well, <laughs> Speaking of time, Cody, there's a couple of metas that are starting to use clocks. Do you think that could fix some of that burnout with people feeling like their time's wasted in these games? Or some of the situations that you're talking about right yeah. now. Oh, well, definitely those situations. <laughs> uh, I don't know about burnout. Um, well, because there's, I've had people in other games and actually Malifaux because they're like, you know, I'm not getting past turn three. I'm not finishing games, they're getting more time in the game than I am because they're playing maybe a summoner or their conditions and they get pissed off and want to go do something else. So I do think clocks can help clean that up a little bit where it takes some of that anxiety and anger of wasting time. So mm -hmm. I, I can see that for some people. Well, for a TO, the, the, the clocks help, help tremendously because they don't have to arbitrate over slow play. And that, yeah. that's, that's typically 90% of the – either they don't know the rule interactions well enough to, to be on a, on a top table and they're, at, they're, they're trying to figure out the nuance of uh, does this thing do what I think it does. Uh, I, go back, yeah. I can go back to second edition for an example where um, you could kill a model and then it doesn't, it doesn't remove the corpse or the, 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 the model doesn't get removed from the table until after the trigger resolves. So then you, you could kill that model and then shoot it again and blast off of it again. And so that's the thing they cleaned up for third edition. But um, but then you, you would call a TO over, over because that, that, that doesn't sound right. And if you don't dig into the yep. dig into the rules and what, what what's supposed to happen at what turn and or yeah. what point in the activation. So then um, so so pretty much the, the, the second edition was a bunch of exploits like that where. Um, you had to call TO to figure out what was going to happen, but the third third edition has a pretty good uh, uh, rule set where everything is uh, has a, has a timing, so you, you can pretty much to, to go back to the book and resolve most of what you need to resolve. But uh, for the most part, TOs in third edition typically deal with slow play and um, just answering the, the rules for some of the newer players, is, in my experience. Yeah, I'm just looking at a couple of things. Um, they had a chat going in the mm. Students of Conflict I'm kind of looking at. A lot of it is just people kind of ex like sharing their experience. I think the biggest thing is if you are feeling kind of burned out is just to, you know, voice that to people. Like when, I, when I've when i told people that, yeah, yeah, I'm taking a little break from Malifaux. It's not like I'm selling off all my models. It's not like close the podcast down, you know, sell it off, you know, you know, get the bank to foreclose on the farm. It's not that kind of stuff, right? It's just like, it's it's human nature. You start doing something so often and you get three games a week or you're doing a tournament every month, you're traveling, you're going to these cons. Eventually you just want a break and you want to do something else. And the good thing is you can always come back to it. So it's, it's kind of like what Chris is doing. You know, he's like, I'm not having fun right now. I don't like the gaining grounds. I'll see what happens when the new GG comes out. Actually, something I'm going to be doing at the uh, Texas uh, GT. Uh, I'm going to ask permission from Doug. I know we're going to have them over to the podcast for one of our faction focuses for strategy, but I want to run a RPG-like version of Malifaux event 
while the GT is going for any of the people that are casual that just want to come in and, and just partake because the store is huge. And I know that some of us hate the henchman hardcore. That's so I want to take care of you guys. And, you know, we, we get to hang out, we get to play, and we get to do some RPG with Malifaux rules. You don't have to do the RPG uh, book that Malifaux has. You can just play normal Malifaux rules, and I'll just guide you through it. Could, could be All interesting. Right. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of what you need to do, just kind of brainstorm, have multiple options for people, have, you know, maybe multiple crews or factions you like to play. Just, you know, kind of cure your burnout a little bit. There's a lot you can do there. Uh, we gave a lot of good ideas on here that I think will definitely help some people out that maybe are feeling that way. And I think the biggest thing is just, honestly, like I said, new blood. Like when you get players who are excited, it, it avoids, because it's always bad when you get the group all together is starting to feel burned out. And it's nothing but complaining. Oh, this model's broken. Damien's broken. Tall's broken. And that's all you're hearing. And then people just don't want to play. Whereas, you know, you can admit that stuff sucks, right? Like the clock dudes are annoying. Damien's annoying. Everything's annoying out of that book, whatever. But, you know, we can just be like, you know, I'm just not playing that stuff. It's like, let's just have fun. These new players are trying to figure it out. They're excited for it. Let's help them answer these questions and help them figure out what models they want to buy. And I think that that cures a lot of that burnout, just being positive and interested in the game and getting better, having good goals that I think are realistic is something you brought up, Cody, that I think would help a lot of people out too. Um, so I'm thinking if there is like is a bo boogeyman like Damien, uh, just get one of your buddies and play on Vassal and pull out all the models and run them around the table and figure out what you need to do to, to, to beat, the, beat that thing. And, and it's a lesson. Well, yeah, and I, I think something, and Dixon also helped me realize this. There's times where I don't think a model's good. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I thought that 33 would be better against your flyers, but it didn't come up the entire game. And Dixon's like, well, yeah, because I had to plan around that the whole time. And, you know, you didn't get a chance to place me because I wasn't going into it because I had to avoid it. So you don't realize how good sometimes something is unless you talk to your opponent about it. I uh, recently, uh, we played... Torment versus uh, Marshall, and it was a nightmare because every single time I teleported into him, he would just be like, "Take one damage, move away," and it was just ruined my plans most of the time because I had to do extra actions to actually get to where I needed to be. <laughs> yeah, so you ended up chasing Luisa down because you didn't want to go into it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but that's that's, that's all, all about how much time you're willing to invest in playing the game and, le and learning learning what all the models do. Because, like like I said, they they can't they can't physically play test. When they put a new model out, they can't play against play test it against every model in the game. The, the game is that big right now. So, one thing that has personally burnt me out over the past couple of years has been playing proxies, because I, I play this game as like a total experience, right? Yeah. It's a hobby. It's visual. Paint it's, up. It's you know, it's um, it's tactile and it's on my shelf and it's you know, and it's strategic and it's social. So like. The playing with the proxies because of all the production delays has been like, it's been like kind of grating for a long time for me. So like uh, when I started, because I basically was burnout after Nova, um, and it was like a per, it was more personal burnout because like I just had a kid and then I was at Nova and I was away for a weekend. I was like, uh, you know, like I have two kids and I'm leaving them for three days to play fucking war dollies. Like what am I doing? <laughs> Like, uh, so I took a break for a bit and I was getting back in, and when I got back into it, you know, I found that most of the, um, 
meta around me was more like burnout than me. Um, but yeah, I think the proxies and stuff like really graded on me for a while. I think it does uh, so. I'm people. personally committing to not playing proxies for as long as I can, and I think that accomplishes two things in so far that it helps with the totality of like the you know actually playing with the models but also i get to avoid all the broken stuff because <laughs> yeah. usually yep. all the broken stuff it hasn't even been out you know like you know yep. it's not even going to be out for a year yep. like so yeah well and also i feel like kind of going on that as well i think that it's just it i don't want to say it's it's designed better for for us you know in real life but I do feel like the experience of wargaming is better in real life. It's like, because there are delays in models coming out. And I think that's a good thing because it allows people to get used to this new thing. And then, like I said before, then something else comes out, then you can get used to it and you don't get burned. I think when, when you get everything at once and people are proxying and I don't know about you guys, I learn kind of what a model does by what it looks like. Like I might not know that model's name. I do now because obviously I do the podcast, but before I'd be like, oh, I'm playing against Levy. Yeah, that robotic arm chick has a super gun that can kill me. I need to be careful of that. And you learn that way, right? You don't necessarily know the name. Hmm. You just know the sound it makes when it kills a man. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, in our games, how many, how many times do you hear me say, because uh, I'm, I don't know what it is. Dixon has head, all this weird names for people. Yeah, oh, the blah McGee over there. My yeah, because my head can't for some reason uh, remember names. Like names and faces just disappeared in my head, right? So I have these nicknames. Girly that, chick over there. There you go, and it helps me remember. <laughs> it so doesn't Pete, help me. <laughs> yeah, Pete has gotten like in positions where he's like, so which one of these are you talking about? I have multiple girlies here, Dixon. Which one are you I... talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry, I think that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, that, okay, let's just sum that up. The, the, ready? We can end the podcast right now. Yeah, yeah. Here's how you get rid of burnout. Play games with people you like, right? Just yeah. have fun, you know, win or lose. Yeah. You can get a little hissy fit, but you know, I've gotten pissed at Dixon, but we always have a good time playing a game. And there was, I forget what it was. I was, I was kind of pissy at Dixon. Oh, it's cause <laughs> you were trying to shoot over like the edge of the, or no, you're saying the edge of the, Edge of a building you cover, cover. Yes. and I was and just like, was like, "What? No, it doesn't." It was like, I, I was like, "That sounds like the dumbest rule ever." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, there's this shadow. I, I get cover from it." He's like, "Fuck you, Dixon." <laughs> um, but anyways, I want to give you guys a uh, last chance. I mean, John, is there anything else you want to say about burnout or Malifaux in general before we get up on out here? I'm pretty good. I thought, yeah, yeah, we got a lot out there. How about you, Cody? Any last minute thoughts for the psychologist here? No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I just want Dub Dub Designs Houston GT. I want to see you guys over there. Dub Dub Designs. Just go to that website. Yeah, I think it's a uh, slash events, and you can go and actually, if you uh, buy your ticket for that GT before August, uh, you get a free fade deck. So definitely, um, definitely fun. And yeah, if you if you want to come on and talk and ask questions, we had this side chat the whole time and. We answer questions from the patrons that uh, listen to us live. Definitely sign up to be a patron. That's one of the fun things we like doing. You get to see everybody's faces and see Dixon usually laughing at somebody just randomly or, you know, I don't know, random things happen. You never know. But I think until next time, make sure that you guys are flipping cards, flipping tables, and we'll see you all later.